Hey, my name's Hayden Carroll. Welcome to the Faithful Perspective Podcast, a series where we discuss together those key gospel principles that lead to a successful, joyful, and productive life for Latter-day Saints and friends. Before we jump into anything, I want to give you an invitation. Do you know a Latter-day Saint who is passionate about something gospel-related? Do you know somebody who others could benefit from getting inside their head? If you know somebody that I might be able to interview on our Faithful Perspective podcast, please email me their information at faithfulperspectivepodcast at gmail.com. That's faithfulperspectivepodcast at gmail.com. Today I have the awesome opportunity of interviewing uh, a good friend of mine who is actually in my ward. That's how we uh, came to know each other, Steve Ziegler. Steve, how are you doing today? Life is good. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear. Thanks for taking uh, just a short amount of time out of your day today to teach us some wisdom from your experience. And I, I don't really, I don't really want to, I don't want to get into your background. I'd rather let you give, uh, give the audience, give the listeners kind of uh, any relevant information that you feel to this discussion right off the bat. And uh, just for, for the sake of our listeners and so they understand, um, Steve's background is and, and his story is kind of what we're going to be talking about today. So, and that's kind of the subject at hand. And we're going to talk about a few gospel principles that we can relate uh, with Steve from his experience. So, with that brief introduction, uh, what what do what, what do you want to tell us? What do you feel is relevant for us to uh, know about you? And then let's uh, jump into it. And I'll ask lots of questions, hopefully, and we'll we'll go from there. I like that. I appreciate this opportunity. I uh, will tell you a little bit about why I'm where I'm at right now. Um, I had a fairly normal youth until uh, I was 12 years old, and I lost my mother rather traumatically to suicide. And uh, my family structure was not real strong, and we uh, just uh, kind of, in a lot of ways, went our own ways as children. And uh, I had a rough high school. Um, I went into the Air Force when I was 17. And uh, my dad about broke his arm signing the paperwork. <laughs> Thought it would be good for me, get a little maturity, and I needed it. I got out when I was 23 and went down to Louisiana as a scab. Uh, there were some strike issues down there, and it was kind of a foolish thing to do, but I didn't know any better. I was young and foolish, and sometimes we learn through our mistakes. But uh, I was down there, and I was kind of hanging around the young adults a little bit, and I had a friend of mine that went on a mission. So uh, I thought, huh, what the heck? So I called my father, asked him if I went on a mission, if he'd support me on it. And there was a big silence on the phone. I knew what he was thinking. Who is this really? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he consented to do that, and, and I was grateful that he did. Uh, I went on a mission to Montana B Billings, Montana and Wyoming, and uh, served a couple of years, uh, had some wonderful experiences, and it was my first real introduction to spirituality, um, in some ways in a big way. But uh, I came home, went to Ricks College, and it took me about a year to be excommunicated the first time. I married the young lady uh, shortly later, and uh, we moved down to Pocatello. I had established residency in Idaho. And so I went ahead and transferred everything down to Idaho State in Pocatello and started going to school down there. Well, I've always enjoyed music, and I had a, a bass guitar and an amp. And so 
So we looked around and trying to found a, a rock and roll band. And as it turned out, uh, they were extremely talented. I won't say good, but they were extremely talented. And uh, it, was a, it was a neat experience musically. But I got my wife involved with it too. Uh, the bishop, and all this is going somewhere, uh, the bishop of the local ward came to my house one day and said, Brother Ziegler, I just don't think you should be doing this. And I was offended, and I threw him out of my house. And were you, you weren't a member of the church at this time? I was. Oh, I was were. excommunicated. Okay, you yes. were an excommunicated member, okay. Yeah. So uh, I went ahead and did the rock and roll thing um, about, uh, oh, three and a half or so years later, I graduated. Uh, the band played a lot, and I dealt with everything having to do with rock and roll as far as the world's perspective was concerned. And my wife did too, and when I told her I wanted to join the real world, I got my degree in secondary education, I told her I wanted to join the real world and I couldn't play music anymore, she uh, kind of disagreed with me, so she left me, stayed in the band, and uh, I came down here to the valley. That was the beginning of uh, my journey into the arms of the adversary. And uh, I... Uh, was on the road all the time. I married a good woman, marvelous woman. Um, we got together to break up once, and the Spirit of the Lord testified that I'd take her to the temple. And we both knew it, and we couldn't deny it. So we uh, went ahead and got married. Well, we started having children, and I was on the road trying to support them, and I was uh, not a very secure man and, and uh, made a lot of mistakes, but uh, I was all the time away from my family. And I found myself more and more, as the years went on, drawn to the things of the world. And I'm not going to get into any horrifying details because some of them are horrifying. But I will say this. Um, I realized that I, I wanted to, I wanted the lifestyle that I was living drinking and everything that was going with it. And uh, I was going to church because of my children, so I was attending the meetings, but I couldn't participate because I wasn't a member. And I finally had a bishop that was just frustrated into the next world and said, why don't we just get you rebaptized? So I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was rebaptized. And I shouldn't have been, but that's a different story. Um, I went back on the road for a while. Uh, I finally, in 2000, my wife said I needed to get off the road if I wanted to stay in the marriage. And my kids were to the point where they needed to see their father a little bit more. So I did. I got a local job. And uh, it was a good job with a good company. And I was with them for 10 years. But while I was with them, I continued progressing line upon line the wrong direction. Line upon line works both directions, both towards our Father if we want it that way and towards the adversary if we want it that way. And I really have learned that you can only be undecided for, uh, until you've at some point decided <laughs> who you're going to serve. And it, it was, I was to the point in my life, uh, again, without being vile, to to know how to offend God 
and to do it because I wanted to. It's a bad, bad place to be, and I say that now just so you'll understand the depths of my depravity. I, uh, I was talking to one of my sons later, and he said, you know, your brother and I, I mean, my brother and I were having a conversation about you, and, and uh, I told him, I said, you know, Dad's going to hell, right? And uh, the other son looked at him seriously and said, yeah, yeah, he is. And when someone is living the life I was living, about as bad as a person can be, um, you project that. We project who we are. We project the spirit that's in us. And I didn't know that at the time, but I was a dark, dark, dark individual. I progressed further. Finally, uh, two weeks after I dropped my youngest child off at BYU, uh, I left my wife. And um, at that point, I had no restraints. And I could do whatever I wanted. Um, and I did mostly anyway, mostly f to becoming a very good liar, which is direct from the adversary. I uh, was in the middle of all this, and one night in 2011, life had been going bad uh, temporarily. I just I was struggling financially in a lot of ways, and, and uh, in every way in my life I was struggling, because that's what happens. Satan does not support his own. But I was sitting in my room, and... Out of the blue, I knew, I knew that the Savior was there. I couldn't see him, but I knew he was there. I felt it. I just knew it. There was no doubt in my mind, and I didn't understand it because of everything that I'd been doing, trying to offend God and knowing how and doing a good job of offending God, being involved with the occult and being involved with things to draw me into the arms of the Sabbath adversary, I couldn't understand how the Savior could possibly be in my room. But he was. And I've just, I've got to tell you the things that started changing my heart. The biggest and most powerful, beautiful thing. I felt the love of Jesus Christ in a way that I did not dream was possible. The love that I felt from him, for me, everything that I'd been doing to offend our father, his father, and the love that I felt for me in the middle of all that. I, I don't know how long I wept that night, but it started my journey back into true Christianity. I knew that Jesus Christ was real. I had felt him. I had felt what that meant, the love of Christ. We always read that in the scriptures. We always hear this, but to feel what I felt was beyond my understanding. But it, it started me coming back to the church. The change of my heart started at that, at that night. I started meeting with the state president in Glendale, Arizona, and uh, we... Uh, Wonderful man, amazing man. 
we had a new bishop in my ward and the state president thought it was probably best if I didn't do the types of confessions that he were hearing to a new bishop. He was merciful because it was the vilest of the vile. I don't want that to sound like I'm bragging because it's anything but. Well, through that process, there were some beautiful and amazing things that happened. I started reading like a maniac. Everything I could get my hands on spiritual, I read. I studied the scriptures. I, I read Jesus the Christ by Talmud. I, I, and I struggled. I, that was way over my head. But I read it again. And the more I started reading hard things, the more, uh, it, it, uh, the more they started clicking for me, the more I understood what they were saying. And it started speaking to me. But I found myself forgetting a lot of what I was reading. So I started writing it down in journals. If, if something would touch my heart and I would feel the spirit, I'd, I'd write that paragraph in a journal. And I'm about a, a quarter of the way into my seventh journal now. And it's, it's not a small journal. I'm looking at it right now. It's not a small one. <laughs> so so for, for timelines, to, to make sure that I have the timeline correct, at this point in 2011, are you a member of the church? Or are you are you still rebaptized? At this I am point? a member of the church. Oh, you are a member. Okay. Yeah. I had been doing all those things as a member of the church. Uh, I uh, came to understand how completely the Lord is involved in our lives during that era, and I was shown things. Uh, I've never had a vision, but I was shown things in my mind that I understood. The Lord was teaching me things. Uh, how much specific areas where he had blessed my life. There was one time I, I'm sitting with my state president and he says, I'd like to give you a blessing, Brother Ziegler. And I said, sure. He laid his hands on my head and uh, proceeded to give me a beautiful blessing. And then near the end, he said, the Lord wants you to know you need to get back in the church quickly because you're going to need the Holy Ghost for an event coming up in your life. And I walked out of his office and said, that was unique. Did you know the event at this point, what no. the event was? You didn't know. I had no idea. And Do you uh, know today? Is that something you'd like to talk about? Or Sure. Two months later, I was rebaptized. And uh, I was baptized by one of my sons that had confessed that I was going to the devil <laughs> and confirmed by his brother, who is now our bishop in this right. ward. Right. <laughs> And um, two months after that, quite suddenly, one of my sons, my 26-year-old son, died. And it was uh, a shock to the family. But on the day of his funeral, the Spirit of the Lord was just sweet and powerful at a time when my family needed a patriarch. For the first time, I think, in the life of my family, I was a little bit that. Although I, my sons gave everyone in the family blessings and I couldn't participate in that, but to be a part of that family event was just beyond measure. Uh, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, it was a year or so later, I was talking to the state president and he said, we need to get your blessings restored. And I agreed and, and uh, I said, president, I don't, I've been excommunicated twice now. and. Uh, 
because I had gone back, and I didn't say that I had gone back in front of the High Council out in Glendale and was excommunicated about uh, six months after I started meeting with the state president. So I was not a member again, but I was rebaptized, and I uh, part of uh, getting your blessings restored, you you have to get letters from all of your wives, and I had two of them: my first rock and roll wife, and then my second one, who I made a little uneasy <laughs> for some reason. Um, but the letters were sealed. I got letters from both of them. They had to make sure that I didn't owe them any money and just to give their feelings about what they saw in me. And I said, President, I don't. I had given them these letters and hadn't read them. That broke my fingers holding on to that letter when the <laughs> state president took it, right. both of them. But anyway, uh, he said, I don't think you're going to have to worry about getting your blessings back. And I said, well, how can you say that? <laughs> and he said, the letter that your first wife wrote um, was amazing. She had come to the funeral of, of my son. And I sat with them at the meal um, after the graveyard. And she said, in this letter, at that dinner, I'm sitting across from Steve, and Steve was glowing. That wasn't me. That was that Holy Ghost that the state president had talked about that I was going to need. And that was the Lord telling me how much he was with me and with my family when we all needed him so much. Um, it was amazing. And surely enough, I got my blessings restored. and. Uh, about uh, 30 days later, uh, after the stake president had read that indeed I had my blessings restored and showed my wife the signatures, the first presidency on that on that form, uh, the next day I asked her to marry me, and she consented to remarry me, and we were married as a family, and sealed together as a family, and our young son who had died was sealed to us, and that stake president who had worked all those years with me to help me come back into the church knelt at the altar for my son who died. It was a, just a miraculous, beautiful, glorious <laughs> moment for our family. So I was blessed enough when I got on the ward, uh, I had bishops that allowed me to teach. Uh, I've just been grateful to be able to teach in the ward, and it's been the only calling I really wanted to do. <laughs> so that's kind of where we're at, why I'm here. So just to, to make it clear, again, the timeline for our listeners, what what year were you sealed to your family? And, and then soon after that, were you given a, a gospel doctrine teaching calling, or what year was that, and what's the, the specific timeline there? It was 2015 that I was resealed to our family five years ago, and uh, within... Just a few weeks, I was teaching gospel doctrine. So you were you were in the ward. I mean, maybe you've been in the ward for longer, but you were teaching because now we're, we're both in Sunday school. We both have a, a role in Sunday school in our ward, um, and you've been there longer than I have by a few years. Because I think we got in what must have been June of 2018, and you were already a teacher. And I just want to say for our listeners, we have wonderful teachers in our ward. Um, in more specifically, and, and, you know, I, I don't think, I think everyone teaches with their own style and everyone, 
everyone has their own uh, kind of twist on how to teach. But I just want to say one thing about Brother Ziegler here is that he is uh, one of the most coveted uh, Sunday school teachers that we have in regards to people wanting to attend your class. Your class is always full. Thank you. And uh, as I've you know played my role in the Sunday school, I've been able to sit on some of your lessons. And I just want to say how much we appreciate you and your experience. Now, on that note, um, and we can take this wherever you want, wherever you want, whatever you want to teach us. You've given us your timeline, your experience uh, with your repentance process and your experience coming in and out of the church. My question for you is now, what lessons would you like to teach us? Because I'm sure there's a handful. And this journal I'm looking at in front of me has many quotes. <laughs> Looks like gospel doctrines and principles. And so I just want to give the floor to you now. And let's just have a conversation of what what did you learn? Let's get more specific with lessons that you learned. Or, or we can take it however you want. That's kind of my feeling on, on how um, I felt this conversation might go. And uh, if there's a different way you want to take it, we can definitely go there or just uh, I'll give the floor to you and I'll ask, uh, I'll ask follow-up questions and we'll just go from there. Let me share a scripture real quick. Yes. First Nephi 11. And that's 21 through 23. And the angel said unto me, Behold, the Lamb of God Yea, even the son of the eternal father, knowest thou the meaning of the tree which thy father saw? And I answered him, saying, Yea, it is the love of God, which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men. Wherefore, it is the most desirable above all things. And he spake to me, saying, Yea, and the most joyous to the soul. I love that scripture. When I hear about the love of God, I, I, um, I pray often that I'll be able to remember those feelings that I had that night because it was just moving in such a big way. And there are occasions uh, that I feel the Spirit of the Lord, and I love that. And it's all tied together. Um, the biggest thing that I that I could say is the concept of spiritual progression, how vital it is to all of us to, to want to be more than we are. I, I remember uh, King Benjamin. King Benjamin was talking to, where was that? And Mosiah mm -hmm. was talking to uh, all of his people. He's getting ready to pass the kingship to his son. And uh, listen to what he says. Which chapter? Mosiah? I'm sorry, chapter 2. 2, okay. And he's talking about his people here, and this is going somewhere. And there were a great number, even so many that they did not number them, for they had multiplied exceedingly and waxed great in the land. And they also took of the firstlings of their flocks, that they might offer sacrifice and burnt offerings according to the law of Moses. And also that they might give thanks to the Lord their God, who had brought them out of the land of Jerusalem, and who had delivered them out of the hands of their enemies, and had appointed just men to be their teachers, and also a just man to be their king, who had established peace in the land of Zarahemla, and who had taught them to keep the commandments of God, that they might rejoice and be filled with love towards God and all men. These were good people. These were members of the church. The Lord had blessed them to defeat Lamanite armies. These were good family men and women. 
But after King Benjamin got done talking to them, they were really converted. That's what the Lord wants from us. He doesn't want us to be satisfied with where we're at. He wants us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. I love that saying. I love that, that scripture, to hunger and thirst. To, to hunger? Think about when we're fasting. The most important thing, on occasion, that we can think about the big old hunk of chicken, right? A chicken leg. Right, after church or <laughs> that <laughs> night. Yeah. yeah, we're almost at the point to break the fast. Yes, right. <laughs> and, and food becomes a mighty, mighty priority for us. Perhaps, in a way, the most important thing in our lives. And we might be really thirsty to where water is almost as important to us, if not, if not as. And hungering and thirsting after righteousness, if we can be that desirous to really know the Lord, to get to a point in our lives when we pray and we kneel down before the Lord and we take a minute and collect our thoughts because we're getting ready to address the God of the universe and we kneel before him and we talk to a God that we know is listening, that we know cares about us, doesn't always give us what we think we might need, but we know that he always gives us what he wants us to have. That's where he wants us to be. He wants us to hunger and thirst to really understand who he is, to really understand the, the traits of God and Jesus Christ. I love the concept of truth, and truth is tied to love. And, and there are some people that think that that's what holds the very universe together. Is, and it comes from the very throne of God. And when we understand that, uh, that's how Jesus Christ walked on the water. How his great understanding of truth, he doesn't say or think anything that isn't going to happen. If he thinks it and if God thinks it, it's going to happen. And that's truth. And he knew that when he put his foot in that water, he was going to walk on the water. And the very elements obeyed. That's how the universe grows. That's how the universe expands. That's how the universe functions and stays in order, is this love and this truth that comes from the very throne of God. I love that concept. I love that concept of wanting to be more than we are. I love the old prophets as much as the new ones. President McKay and President Romney used to always say, you emanate who and what you are. You need to feed your spirits because when you walk into a room, you are affecting people whether you know it or not. You ever been sitting in a room and something was different? It hasn't happened to me very often, but it's happened to me when I turned around and looked and, what, and you look at someone and say, well, I'd like to meet that person. That's what the Lord wants us to be. And the biggest thing I learned about this whole thing, all the decisions I made when I was growing up is always about me, me. I'm the most important thing. What I want, what I need, what I want to feel, that was the most important thing to me in my life. It's so completely the natural man. It's what we're taught. I mean, I think it's what the world teaches. I, yeah. I, think, I think that's the... Uh, you've been talking about the snares of the adversary. I think that's his plan is to help us, to encourage us rather, to focus on ourselves. And that causes a lot of problems. It's caused a lot of problems for me and it sounds like for you. And I'm sure the people listening to this right now, and I have a lot of questions that I don't think we're going to have enough time to answer all of them that are going through my head right now. But I, I just want to ask a couple questions and get your opinion and, and your counsel on them. 
you're talking about the Lord wants us to, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. My, and I just want to give my kind of candid um, thought process on this and my, my experience with this and Latter, uh, you know, as, as a member of the church and, and you know, interacting with other Latter-day Saints. Here, here's kind of what I, I've experienced. I've experienced a, a real, and I'm no judge, and I don't know what's really going on beneath the surface for everybody um, or anybody for that matter. But I've got the feeling sometimes, and tell me if you agree or disagree with this, I've got the feeling that there are, I'll just say, there are too many Latter-day Saints who don't hunger and thirst after righteousness, that, that their church membership is a, more of a social thing, uh, which is good and, and necessary, right? We gather saints for a reason, there's strength in numbers and that kind of a thing. But it's very seldom that I come across, uh, to be frank, a member of the church like you, who takes time to study the scriptures, to listen, not, not just listen to a conference talk, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not trying to put anyone down who, you know, listens to a conference talk, you know, while they're getting ready, you know, at the beginning of the day. That's a great thing. But, but there's more to it than that. And I think you've unlocked and you, you've, through your experience of your, you really, your repentance process, it sounds like that you've unlocked this, as you say, and as the Lord says, hunger and thirst after righteousness. My question for you is, how, what, what advice or counsel do you have for a member of the church who is listening to this podcast right now, who doesn't feel like they have the desire or the hunger or thirst of righteousness? How do you help someone who has a lack of desire to become what the Lord wants to become? And I'm talking about like gospel study, because I think that's a large part of it, right? We're good at reading our scriptures as a lot of sense, but we're not really that great at studying them as a whole, right? So what's your counsel for somebody who's struggling with this or maybe just has a lack of desire? What, what do you tell them? If you sat down with them, what would you tell them? Brigham Young's daughter came to him one time, said, Father, I am amazed at your spirituality, your relationship with God. I just see it in you all the time. I'm so far away from that. What can I do? That kind of falls in line with what you're saying because what he said to her is the answer to all of that. There's got to be a starting point. The starting point is prayer. And that's what he counseled his daughter. He said, you'll find out the same way your mother found out, on her knees and on your knees, praying before the Lord. And, and it's through prayer that the Lord has an opportunity to be one-on-one with his son or daughter. Think about that. We have an opportunity to be one-on-one with the God of everything who touches everything, who's aware of everything, who knows our heart better than we do, who knows where we're going to be, according to Joseph Smith, who has the past, present, and future in front of him all the time. How exciting is that? We have an opportunity to do that every time we pray, but there has to be a starting point. There has to be a point to where you have to have enough faith to know that God is real, that he really is there. Now, that knowledge comes with confirmations over time, but nobody wants to think that they're praying to the ceiling. If anyone, anyone can muster enough faith to think somebody might be listening, it's like Alma teaches us. That's that little tiny seed to start that growth, and that's the concept that Alma taught. It's a starting point. It gives the Lord something to work with, but it's all the the most important thing we can do to get a desire to be more spiritually is personal prayer. We have three parts to us. We have the physical, we have the mental, and we have the spiritual. People take care of the mental. Uh, they push themselves, hopefully, a little bit. People like to exercise and feel good spiritually. 
but most people ignore the spiritual. The spirit needs to be pushed. You reach a point when you start really realizing that someone's hearing you when you're praying where you want more. Who is this God? What, is, what are his attributes? Elder Scott says, we come to God as we understand his attributes and make them our own. That was not a quote, but that's what he said. <laughs> yeah. So, so my next question for you, and, and, and if you want to tell us, and we want to talk about more about prayer, let's do that. I have a follow-up question. I kind of want to go down this kind of line of, of thinking, just for, for the benefit of our listeners, because in my mind right now, uh, this is going to be a huge benefit to me as an individual, right, Hayden Carroll, but this is also going to be a good opportunity for our listeners for us to pick your brain from your experience. And so my, my, what I'm trying to say is, let's say that I'm a struggling member of the church who doesn't feel connected with God. And I come to you and I say, what can I do? And the first thing you tell me is you agree with Brigham, Brigham Young and his counsel to his daughter is prayer. My next question is, okay, what, what, if I, what if I go do that for a week and I'm starting to feel this connection and I came back to you and I said, okay, I'm praying. What's the next step? In other words, can we build upon this? Can, can, you, can we just work, work this together? And, and the reason I want to do this is because I feel like a lot of members who are feel disconnected from the Lord are just simply, most of the time, they're just at a loss of knowing what to do. And we know the simple answers, but, but I want to take from your experience, because you're giving us a little bit deeper than just, you know, pray, church, you know, go to church, read your scriptures. Like, those might be your answers, but I want to get your commentary and your, your, your experience on those. So my question is, I'm praying. What do I do next to, right. to hunger and thirst after this righteousness that we're talking about? I've, I've taught a lot of people. I have the opportunity on occasion. I've worked a lot with uh, the addiction program in the church, and I've met with and taught a lot of people one-on-one. -on -one. And one of the things I hear quite often is people are, uh, have a hard time if they are at a very low spirituality of jumping into scriptures. We need to study our scriptures a little bit at least every day. The closer we get to the Lord, then the scriptures have more meaning to us. But my biggest thought is that you find good church books written by people who have studied the scriptures because they can make life exciting. There's a wonderful book, wonderful book by Gerald Lund, Vine Signatures. I love that book because what it does is it goes through different examples of people and their lives and spiritual experiences that they've had. And the Lord shows people, if they're looking, that he's there. I remember an experience my wife uh, had when she, uh, she and I were just barely starting to get back together. She'd been given a car before we were married. She'd been given a car by her, one of her brothers, a beautiful man. And um, she had some problems with it, took her to the shop. And she said, I've got $200. She didn't tell the man at the shop that. She said, I have $200. I know this is going to be a lot to fix, but that's all I have. She took it in the shop because she had to have that car. He calls her up later on that afternoon and says, Ma'am, I can get this thing on the road and running completely fixed for $200. What a coincidence, right? It wasn't $199. It wasn't $195. $200. I see that almost... The first thing that comes to my mind is that's that's a uh, a spiritual symbol of the Lord asking for everything. Exactly. Right. She needed to give that whole two hundred dollars, and that's all it took. It was lucky for her, you know, in a secular setting or in an automotive setting, 
but I, I maybe that's a, a sign. You know, I, I don't know. I guess I'm not. I'm not the judge of, of what these experiences mean, but that's what first came to mind for me. Well, it certainly did to her, but we have stuff like that all over our lives. Uh, you, you, one of the beautiful examples in that Divine Signature book, and I know it's not the scriptures, but, right. but it's just a wonderful book, uh, just because it just all the little things that we, that we take for granted in our life, little things. Uh, a guy loses his, his wallet. Uh, when he's out on a ranch on a horseback ride, and you think, good gravy, I've been all over the place, you know, I'm not going to find it, and he needs that. It's got, it's got all of his identification. It's very important to him. And he finally goes in right before they're getting ready to leave, and he one more time kneels before the Lord and said, Lord, now notice my needs. I need to find my wallet. He walks outside, walks into the front of, of the house that he had and sees his wallet sitting right there. He's thinking, why didn't I see that earlier? But that's not the point, is it? Is it a little thing? It wasn't to him. But we have instances like that all through our lives. The Lord wants us to know that he's there. But we always get our witness after our faith is tested. Always. It's that way. If somebody does not have a spiritual heart and a spiritual mind, they have the light of Christ in them. Christ is begging them to want more, to want to know who he is, to want to know who Father is. He's begging them. The more they feed that through reading good books, through studying the scriptures, through personal prayer that's meaningful, the more that light shines. And that's the way it works. There's gotta be a starting point for everybody. I was about as far away from the Lord as a person could get, but I was motivated by the love of Jesus Christ. And uh, that was my starting point. But uh, Well, I have a question regarding that. And, and, and if it's, and I don't want you to share anything too personal. I, I don't want, because these, I don't, I don't feel it appropriate to, to ask your, your deepest spiritual experiences. I, I, you know, I don't want to share mine necessarily, and I don't expect you to share yours or anybody. Um, I only want to share what you're comfortable with. My question for you, with that being said, is, was it 2011 that you had this experience? Yes. Can I ask if it's appropriate, what, what was happening at that time or even that night or day or whatever time of the day it was, did you prompt, was it, was it, uh, was it an invited experience by you or was it a, was it a. Was it a random experience, you know, happening experience, or, you know, was it thrusted upon you against you, not against your will necessarily, but like you weren't asking for it? Does that question make sense? Yes. What, what caused this experience that helped you to get back on the path, basically? This was the shocking thing. Nothing. I didn't, I wasn't, I was no more looking for that than the man in the moon. Quite honestly, I was trying to find the right coven, <laughs> which is a little unsettling isn't it but that's where i was and i it was the best way i could figure out to to uh, take me where i wanted to go into the arms of the adversary and at that point the lord interjected himself probably because if i'd gone up too much further it would have been a whole different a whole different story but the lord always knows the right time his timing is perfect we don't understand it but he does for every one of us we all have parts of ourselves that the Lord knows. He knows exactly where he wants to take us. 
if we want it and if we'll do our part. Was it an instantaneous when you when you had this, ex- this spiritual experience and you said you haven't had any vision, so I'm assuming it wasn't a vision. No. But when you had this love of Christ, if you will, enter into your soul, that's kind of is that fair to say kind yes. of what happened? How long did it take for you to respond to that? Were you resistant to that at first or did you immediately, you know, was it tears and and instant prayer and gratitude or was there any resistance from you? Can you just Expound there was no resistance. I understood what was happening. I served an honorable mission. I uh, was a district leader and a zone leader and, and uh, worked hard on my mission and had a successful mission from the standpoint of spirituality was concerned. I just, it was the first time I'd been spiritual in my life. But I understood what was happening. I didn't understand why. And I was just so taken back. Um, it was, it was, it just built. I, I felt something and then it grew and grew and grew and and it was at that point that I realized it just reached a point when I realized that the Savior was really there you can feel the spirit now and you know that that really happened don't you absolutely well it did and to have that happen to me in the midst of the vilest life I could possibly conceive of myself living was beyond me that's what was so shocking to me why me why you know I just didn't make any sense but I couldn't deny what was happening the Savior was there in the room and I knew it I knew it that feeling lasted for months and, and if I if I can, again I'm, I'm trying to get this timeline Please. correct is it that feeling that prompted you to go talk to the stake president is that remind me how that happened what, what, well, what, I, what happened I, just after that it, I knew I had to um, I knew I had to talk to the state president. I woke up the next morning, in fact, and again, I don't know how, I, I cried that night and cried and cried and cried like I've never cried in my life, and there were tears of joy. There were tears of redemption. I felt like I had hope. I felt like even me, everything I was doing, that I had hope. I couldn't believe it. I woke up the next morning, I called up my old bishop here in this ward, Bishop Shumway, and I talked to him for a half hour, and I, I told him I just had this amazing, beautiful experience. And he talked to me and was kind and loving, and he told me later on, he called up the state president and said, you'll never guess who's had a spiritual experience. And the state president said, who? And the bishop said, Brother Ziegler. And he said, Brother Ziegler, there was a big silence on the phone. <laughs> and the state president finally said, no. <laughs> I know why he said that. I understood why he said that, but I was a different person after that experience. I still had a lot of the same desires, but there were certain lines after that point that I never crossed again. Can we talk about that for a second? Sure. I, you know, I can speak only personally, I guess, but I would assume that, that you and I and other people, after we've had these spiritual experiences you know whatever whatever and they may be whatever magnitude they may be you know for some maybe it's it's life changing and altering forever like yours experience and and i you know i've had my own spiritual spiritual experiences and there's other people who've had spiritual experiences what what's your advice or counsel for somebody who has and just like you said has an experience but still is tempted and maybe even sometimes falls back into what what you're saying you're talking about this hope that you gained. What 
hope would you give for somebody who feels like they, they've had this experience, but they're still finding themselves falling back into old habits or sin, you know, generally? How do you help somebody? I understand that completely. Completely. Those, everything that we faucet in ourselves before we really start trying to change is still there. The flesh does not give up easily. Satan wants us back in every way. I will be very frank with you. I have moments now when I really struggle. Now, after everything I've been through and everything I've seen, and I've been sealed to my family, and I've been through the temple, and I've been to the temple, not as often as I should be, but, but uh, I've had experiences. And the one thing I always remember is this. I always remember the difference between light and darkness because it is literally the difference between joy and depression, literally. Can you expand on that idea of light and darkness? What, can you, what more can you tell us? What, what, what do you mean by that? Can you expand on that idea? Darkness is the whole thought process that goes along with everything that personally, and I can't speak for anyone else except for all of the hundreds of people that I've dealt with in the addiction program. Most people have had the same feeling. Darkness is, is going through my mind and remembering when we are progressing the wrong direction towards the adversary, if we slip back into it, we don't start over in our mind at the beginning. We start over where we left off. And I remember that. And, I, and there are just those thoughts. Uh, what happens is you do that sort of thing long enough and you get comfortable with it. And you like it. And that's the biggest thing that addicts fight. People, you know, people who say, how can somebody like that? I understand how somebody can like that. There are parts of it that, if I wanted to be very honest, I like now. But that has nothing to do with the difference between right and wrong. If I want to really be happy, and I want to have the spirit that is prepared to stand before the, the God of the universe for judgment and not melt, because that's what we're building down here. Everything that we do down here in this world, we are building our spirit. We're building our spirit. We're bringing the light of Christ out. We're bringing more of our pre-existent life, who we really are, in to our lives, which is who we really are. And that touches the spirit of Christ, and we become new people. It reaches a point to when we really are born again, like, like the people that King Benjamin taught. There's a group. Oh, that would have been a magnificent experience to be in that group and have that entire group born again. All those good people who had all been given a higher spiritual level by Jesus Christ. We can't do that by ourselves. It's grace upon grace. I never understood what grace upon grace was for a long time. And as I've studied it and I've, and I've read a lot of people who have a lot of good opinions, to me, grace upon grace is Jesus Christ grew grace upon grace because everything he did was for someone else perfectly. It was never about him. It was always about everyone else. And because of that grace, then you give, you receive in your giving. That's the law of restoration. When you give, you receive for that giving. You grow a little bit. When you get up on Saturday morning and you go over to somebody's house and you just don't want to, 
because it's hard, but you know that they need some help moving. <laughs> you know, we do that because they need some help moving. And it's not about whether or not I want to do it. It's about, you know, how can I bless someone's life? What an opportunity. Is it easy? No. <laughs> you know what this reminds me of? This is sending me on a train of thought, to, and, and I don't know if you, you probably have. Have you heard of um, or read Elder Bednar's talk he gave in 2001 at BYU called The Character of Christ? Are you familiar with that yes. talk? Do you remember it well enough to give, give us some thoughts on that? Because what you're saying right now, that's the first thought that came to mind is, is the ability, and I'll say it like this, the uh, path to joy in this life, I guess there's lots of different paths and things we can do. One of the main paths to find joy in this life is what I'm hearing from you is to learn to live your life not for yourself. Now, there are things you have to do for yourself, right? Logistically speaking, you have to take care of yourself before you can help others. That aside, once we're at a point where we can help other people and not, not hurt ourselves in a way, does that make sense? Elder Bednar says that our purpose, what I'm hearing from you and why I was reminded of this talk, is that our purpose here in this life is to um, obtain, I, I, I'm just paraphrasing, but obtain the character of Christ. And he says the character of Christ, if you remember, is to learn when you are suffering, to learn to, em really it's empathize or have compassion. That's what he, the word he uses in the scriptures, to have compassion for others. So my question for you, in a, in a broad sense, does that talk relate to anything you're saying or what, what thoughts or commentary do you have on this idea of, of, of obtaining a character of Christ, looking out for others other than ourself? How does that relate to what you're saying? You know, you look at uh, caring people that you know, and they all have one trait in common. I mean, good people, good people. I talked to my brother. He's going through a, a sad, sad situation where his wife left him, and uh, just a good, good man. And his wife left him. I wanted more on the other side of the whatever, but uh, I look at him, and he said, you know, Steve, I, I would just love to have a visit from someone in the ward, and he said that, and my jaw hit my chest. He's in a ward out in East Valley with doctors and lawyers and professional people and people that uh, are the ward full of good people, very active, um, but... Uh, he told his ministering people that his wife had left. And that was maybe a month and a half ago, and they never have gone to contacted him. They never followed up on that. Now, if somebody is a true follower of Jesus Christ, when they hear something like, like that, the first thought that the Lord wants us to have is, oh, he must be in pain. That's what the Lord wants. That's what the Lord knows. He knows my brother's heart. He knows he's good. He knows he's suffering. And that he needs help, that he needs a hand up. Empathy is the biggest thing that, that in, in my mind, being able to literally put yourself, not literally, but to be able to put yourself in someone's place and to have the ability to feel the thoughts that they're feeling in your own mind and your own heart so you really understand how to help them. That's what the Savior did. But it's all about, I, I, I love the Savior's life. You know, I, I, the most beautiful I don't know how much time we have, but the, the most beautiful uh, gospel video is of Jesus healing the blind man 
who had been blind from birth. I love that. I love that video. I can't tell you how many times I've wept watching that video. I don't just sit around my house crying all the time either, just so you know. <laughs> but but he, he wipes clay on his eyes, tells him to go to the pool and wash. This man in this video walks down to the pool. These people are watching him, and you know what they're thinking. What's this man doing? He reaches down, and he puts water over his eyes, and he, he washes off the clay, and slowly this blurred vision comes into view and he looks down and for the first time in his entire life he can see his hands he looks up and sees this beautiful sky and the sun and looks at all these people he looks at his own reflection in the water and for the first time in his life realizes what he looks like stuff we do every day we look in the mirror you know and all day, oh, I need a haircut or whatever but, but the Savior did that the Savior did that. And I love the end of that video because when he realizes that he's talking to Jesus, the Son of God, and the Savior identifies himself as such, that he is indeed the Son of God, he clasps him and falls to his knees. I want to be worthy of that. I want to get past the troubles I have. You know, I'm not sitting here talking to you like somebody who's overcome the natural man by any means, but I want to. Every time I've fallen, I get up. Every time I've fallen, it's because I've forgotten that it's not about me. It's about my family. It's about the people I minister to. It's about getting a phone call out of the blue from someone who needs a blessing and knowing that I'm worthy to give it or having to tell somebody I'm busy. That's what it's about. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. And I, I have, this is how I know the spirit is working. I have so many questions running through my mind right now that I, that I want to get your opinion on. I just want to ask you about two of them. Please. And, and in the interest of time, I want to ask you these, and then I, I want to ask you if there's, and I know you and I could sit here for hours, and we have before, you know, not on, on recording, but you and I have had hours long conversations about uh, these similar types of things. And here's just my two thoughts, and I have a final question for you. I just want to share, to add my second witness to what you're saying, um, I think one thing that I could, that we can, you know, me personally, and we can all do better at is looking to the savior as our example. And, and you've given this example of him being healing the blind man. I want to just give two other examples and get your thoughts and feelings on them. Okay. And then, and then ask you to, to give some concluding thoughts to this. I'm looking at third Nephi chapter 17. This is six chapters after he has appeared to the Nephites. And I'm looking at verse two. And also, well, you know what? I'm just going to read two through six. And I want to just ask you if you'd give some thoughts and, and just tell us where your thoughts go as, as we read this together, okay? Uh, he's speaking to the people and he says, he's speaking to the Nephites after, after teaching them doctrine. He says, I perceive that ye are weak, that ye cannot understand all my words, which I, have, which I am commanded of the Father to speak unto you at this time. So first of all, he can perceive, right? He has the ability to perceive how they're feeling, which is kind of what you're saying, right? And then, it, it, this all leads into verse 6. Here's verse 3. Therefore, give them some direction. Go into your homes and ponder upon the things which I have said, and ask the Father in my name that you may understand and prepare your minds for the morrow. And I come unto you again, but now I go unto the Father and also show myself unto the lost tribes of Israel, which is a whole other topic, cool topic. 
For they are not lost unto the Father, for he knoweth whither he hath taken them. And it came to pass that when, and, he, and here it is, and here is another example in the scriptures that is just, I think so often we read over this, and there's just so much here that I want to get your opinion on. came to pass that when Jesus had thus spoken, he cast his eyes round about again on the multitude and beheld they were in tears and did look, look steadfastly upon him as if they would ask him to tarry a little longer with them. And he said unto them, Behold, my bowels are, are filled with compassion toward you. Have ye any sick? This is verse 7. Have ye any sick among you? Bring them hither. Have ye any that are lame or blind or halt or maimed or leprous or that are withered? And, and I see these as, as spiritual just as much as physical. Or that are deaf or that are afflicted in any manner. Bring them hither and I will heal them. For I have compassion upon you, and my bowels are filled with mercy. For I do perceive that you desire that I should show unto you what I have done to your brethren at Jerusalem. For I see that your faith is sufficient that I should heal you. So there's so much there, but just tell, where do your thoughts go as we read that? The part where he teaches everybody what he tried to teach the Jews in Israel, where he brings the little children up. All of those children, he took that time. And in one form or another, touched everyone's hearts because that was the generation that uh, led off to 200 years of, of peace and everything good in the society. I can't even fathom 200 years of that. But he, what does it mean? What does it mean to be like a little child? It's all the traits that Jesus talks about. Trusting, humble. Children know what they don't know. They want to be big, you know, so they know stuff. But I, I just love that. I, I love that the, the love that he has for the children and the way he used that to teach us the importance and, of, and the vitality of humility. The vitality that comes along with a real understanding of really who we are before the God of the universe, before Jesus Christ, who is everything that God has is his. Our knowledge is nothing. You know, I, I look at some of the people in the world all puffed up with everything that they know and understand. Uh, all these scientists who, well, this is it. It solves all these problems. And there's never, uh, compared to a God who knows everything, that's what a child radiates. And that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be humble and meek and, and trusting which is faith. You know, children trust daddy and mommy more than anything. They're, they're anchors. Well, he wants us to do the same for him and for father, to have the same type of trust that a child has for their parents, for us to have that trust for him and, and God, a father, a little father, to have an inkling of the love that they really do have for us that's available to each person who's hearing this to know that wherever you are, wherever we are, that he will come to us at our level because he knows exactly what we need to grow, to increase the light that we have within ourselves. With that being said, thank you. Jesus Christ is the master teacher. And, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, commit blasphemy and, and compare anybody to, to the savior. But, I think it's fair to say that there are some people on this earth who 
and I think it's I think it's it's right and it should be this way that some people have Christ-like attributes. And I want to highlight, Brother Ziggler, one of your Christ-like attributes. It's in verse nine. Can I read this to you? And I just want to I want to uh, let's see. Is it in? Let me make sure I get this right. Um. Sorry, I I let me see where it is. Hmm, maybe I mixed up. Let's see here. Okay, no, this this is it. Now there was one phrase that I'm looking for that maybe it's in the New Testament. Let me let me read this and let me and I'll share with you what I let's see here. I'm looking for the phrase one by one. Isn't that in here? You know what I'm talking about where he healed them one by one? Or that they felt or maybe that's before when they're feeling the wounds in his hands one by one. You're familiar with that. Yeah. Now there is the word one in here. I'm going to read it and it still highlights the same idea, but it's the verse nine. And let me just, let me just praise you just a little bit, brother Ziegler. Uh, this is right after where we left off. And it came to pass that when Christ had thus spoken, all the multitude with one accord did go forth with their sick and their afflicted and their lame and their blind and with their dumb and any, and with all of them that were afflicted in any manner. And here it is. And he did heal them. Every one as they were brought forth unto him. And they did all, both who he had healed, and they who were whole, bow down at his feet and, and worship him. As many as could come to the multitude kiss, uh, did kiss his feet, inasmuch as they did bathe his feet with their tears. Now, the attribute that I want to highlight here is, and, it, and, it, and also, and I apologize, I was thinking of another verse, but it, it also teaches it here. The Savior is very good, and you are very good is what I'm trying to say. And, and you'd have to meet Steve Ziegler in real life to know what I'm talking about. And, and I hope you can feel it here. But the day that you get to meet Steve Ziegler in real life, which I hope you do, those who are listening to this, Goodness. you will, how do I want to say this in a way that's, I don't even know if there's words to describe it. You will feel The Savior teaches us one by one. And when you're with Steve Ziegler and you sit across from a table with him and you have a microphone in front of, in front of your face or you're sitting on his couch, you feel like you are the only person that matters to Steve Ziegler at that time. And I, and I, just, and I just feel prompted to say that. And I think that's a Christ-like attribute. And, and you, you may not agree with me, Steve, but I, I hope because you, you're humble and you're, you're going to want to deflect this. But it's true. I have not ever had a conversation with you that I have not felt 100% of your attention was focused on me. And the, the way I'm, uh, the, the place I'm getting this from is here, is that I can't imagine the Savior healing someone without his full 100% attention on that individual. And now let's, let's, let's expand this. I want to get your thoughts on this. When the Savior heals us. And I think it's so cool that you said that the savior was in the room that night in 2011. Um, I have no doubt that he was in the spirit has testified to me that he was, you know, just like he was with Joseph one-on-one, -on -one, right? And the savior of with the father, but the savior heals us one by one. And it happened for you, Steve, and it's happened to me. And I hope it's happened to those who are listening on here, but I want to bear testimony before I just give Brother Ziegler, the, the concluding thought here. 
that the Savior Jesus Christ knows you. He knows your faults. He gave you your faults. Ether 12, 27, he gave you your weaknesses. And he, he did that for a purpose so that you would be humble enough to realize you cannot do this on your own. And if you're willing, you will go to him. You will be healed by him. Now with that, Brother Ziegler, would you give us, and you don't have to comment on anything I said. You can if you want. You're more than welcome to. Is there any concluding thoughts on all, and, and again, we could say for another hour in the interest of time, yeah. are there any concluding thoughts that you have as, as we talk about this power of joy, this power of hope, this power of repentance, this love of Christ? Well, I've always had the opportunity when I've spoken to of being in controlled situations where you don't see me the way my wife sees me or my son-in-law or whoever. <laughs> We're all... We all uh, have our own weaknesses, but anything good that I have, uh, I acknowledge uh, is God's. I acknowledge it came from God. He's teaching me the things I need to know when I need to know them. And all of the time that, and I've worked with a lot of people who have been addicted, um, most of them to sex, but many of them to substances. And uh, it, it, the hardest concept for any addict to really not just understand but to believe in their soul which is where real healing starts is getting past the notion of how can God love me he knows the deepest dirtiest most vile portions of my life that I've hidden from everyone how can he love me he does Anything that I've gotten, any growth that I've gotten, I've gotten because I've begged the Lord to give me understanding of the best way I can serve him. I've got such a long way to go. Oh, my gosh. I see myself more realistically than what you do. I think heaven, this is true. We all have work to do. Uh, me, I have probably more than most. But let me just read something. And I love this. And then I'll shut up. <laughs> Part of our godly development involves working to gain that discernment that will free us into entire responsibility for our own state of mind and our own happiness. Let me read that again. Part of our godly development involves working to gain that discernment that will free us into entire responsibility for our own state of mind and our own happiness. We're responsible for our own happiness. We can develop a keen awareness as negative energy tries to poison our well. We want to do that because what we do, we do to ourselves. 100% of the time, in that way, we learn that things are the opposite of the way they appear. For example, giving is receiving. Withholding love precludes its own experience. I, I just, I, the, the last thing I'll just testify to is the reality that God wants us to be more than we are. 
He wants us to want that for ourselves. He wants us to strengthen our spirit, to be more like the perfect example that we have when he sent his son down here for us. I'm so grateful for those men who put together the New Testament and for the Book of Mormon prophets where we have Third Nephi that we can actually see the example that we're supposed to be by the way Jesus Christ treated everyone. I testify in the name of Jesus Christ that what we've discussed today are vital to our joy and to us becoming everything we can possibly be and living our lives at a higher level. That's not beyond anyone who hears this. We can all live our lives at higher spiritual levels, and it's all about getting away from the natural man and turning ourselves over to Jesus Christ as we are able. I testify that that's true and that Jesus Christ loves us more than anyone, any of us can comprehend. And say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, I just have to say this before we close. I never walk out of a conversation with you, whether it's a 30-second conversation or a two-hour conversation, without feeling the love of Christ, feeling motivated to do better, feeling motivated to repent more often. And uh, today's no exception. So thank you, Brother Ziegler, for, for taking just an hour out of your, out of your day to uh, give us some wisdom from uh, some, some well-deserved, I'll say this, well-deserved wisdom. I don't expect uh, your journey to have been easy by any means. So thank you so much for just taking some time to, to teach us. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing with a friend. And we'll catch you next time on the Faithful Perspective Podcast. <laughs>